Amen. Sarah and Dayton, thank you so much for leading us in worship today. Uh, hey, everybody, welcome back. Semester two is upon us. Uh, hey, it's above zero today. It's above zero today. <laughs> You're like, yeah, right, Darren, my face froze on the way over here. I know. Uh, but you guys, um, I just want to give us a, uh, well, first of all, I want to say this. Today, um, my lovely wife and a couple of my sons are here. It's my wife's birthday today. Can we hear it? And she's celebrating with all of you. Um, we're not going to sing uh, because uh, I don't want to embarrass her. But um, the four of us, we're going to have dinner. We're going to have lunch in the, in the dining center later after this. So if you see her in there, go up to her and say, Allie, happy birthday. Okay? Would you promise me you'll do that? Okay. We'll just embarrass her on a little bit smaller scale. Um, you guys, uh, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, we've been talking about the kingdom of God this year, and I just want to give us a little recap of the theme. Thy kingdom come, the mission and the movement of Jesus. These words, of course, are from the Lord's Prayer, um, and I just want to um, explore each word by, and in that way give us a little bit of a recap on, on where we've been and where we're going in chapel this year. First word, thy, thy, it's a small little word, but it's very impactful, his will not our will. It's his kingdom, not mine. And so there's this important part of the kingdom of God where it involves our surrender. Surrender is a key part to life in the kingdom. So thy. And then kingdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's the reign and the rule of God. It's where God is king and, and we are servants of the king. It's where his will is done and it's where his design and his intention for creation is lived out, and then come. Jesus teaches us to pray for the kingdom of God to come. Our eternal life with the Father, you guys, is, is less about us going to heaven when we die, and it's, it's more about his eternal life, his kingdom coming here. All of Jesus' teaching, his healing, his parables, his mission, and his movement they all emphasize this, this rich picture of God restoring this creation, bringing his kingdom here to earth. The kingdom is, is already here, and yet the kingdom is not here in its fullness. It's already and not yet. And um, we're no longer separated entirely from heaven. Heaven and earth are no longer completely separate, but they're now overlapping in this space that we occupy, and, and heaven is invading earth. The king is taking up residence. All the wrongs are being made right. I'm talking in, in present tense here. We're spending this year fleshing this out. First semester, as Dayton and I have spent time with you here in chapel, we've spent our time talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this great teaching of Jesus found in, in Matthew's gospel where he describes what the kingdom of God is really like. And, and we see that the kingdom values, well, they're really different. They're really different than the values of this world. So today, we're continuing our exploration of the life in the kingdom of God by looking at some teaching Jesus shared in the Sermon on the Mount about money and possessions. And we're going to discover together today that it's not really just about money and possessions. It's about our soul. It's about our heart posture. And it's about our closeness to the Father. 
And I'm really glad, you guys, I'm really glad that the Bible has a lot to say about money. I know I need a reframe when it comes to this. My default thinking most of my life has been, how can I get rich? How can I get rich? How can I be set for life? How can I be, how can I be set to not worry about money the rest of my life? In fact, um, ever since I was a little kid, I was dreaming about this. And when I was little, I wanted to become an inventor. Because I thought, well, if I invent something that everybody uses, and I'll be, well, maybe I'll be famous, but for sure I'll be rich, right? And I wanna just share with you guys a couple of the ideas that I've had over the course of my life for inventions, okay? The first one is, well, you know how they say necessity is the mother of all invention, right? And um, so here's where this is coming from. So a couple of my favorite foods are quesadillas. Anybody else? All right. And, my, and, and, and pizza, anybody else like pizza? Okay. I thought one day, I thought to myself, what if you put the pizza toppings in the quesadilla? Come on. I know, my mind was completely blown at myself. But then I thought, you know what? And there's even a great name for it, the pizzadilla. The pizzadilla. But you know what, you guys, I looked it up. And it already exists. It already exists. Olives? <laughs> you guys, the pizza dia exists. So I had to go back to the drawing board and I was on a plane ride one time and it was an overnight, it was an overnight flight and everybody had their sleep mask on and everybody was, you know, had their earphones in and, and I thought, well, you know what? What if the sleep mask and the earphones could all be integrated into one thing that was comfy and cozy and you could wear it while you slept on an airplane? But I looked that up too and it already exists. Olives? It, <laughs> it already exists. It exists everywhere. You can see it. Uh, there's lots of different ones when you look them up on the internet. You guys, I got one more to share with you. I think you're really gonna like this one. This is less of an invention and more of a fashion statement. And I'm, I'm no fashion designer, so I should have just stopped before I was ahead of myself. But do you guys know, do you guys know what a cummerbund is? Maybe some of y'all, but it's a tuxedo accessory, right? So back in the day, men would wear these tuxedos and they'd have a cummerbund. And it was like above the belt and it was this I don't know what it was for, you guys. I think it was just like an accessory, like a, to add some color maybe. Um, but you wore it right, it was right here. And, and I, I, I had an idea. I thought it would be funny. What if there was a cummerbund with cucumbers on it? Like, this, like the design of the fabric was cucumbers. And you could call it a cucumber cummerbund. See, they don't think it's funny either. I, I, it's, I, th I thought it was hilarious. But you guys, John Oliver, the, the late night comedian, uh, he thought of it first. He thought of it first. In fact, here's a picture. And not only did he think of it first, but he one upped me because he has Benedict Cumberbatch wearing a cucumber cummerbund. And like, oh, come on, right? Seriously. None of those, none of those ideas are really that great, I know. And certainly these ideas are not the slightest bit original, evidently. You guys, I've kind of come to grips with the fact that I'm not gonna get rich by inventing something. 
In fact, years ago, I gave, I gave up that dream um, of becoming rich. I decided to go into ministry instead. <laughs> That's right. Let me hear you. I needed to remind myself, though, guys, over and over and over again in my life that the question I'd been asking, how can I get rich? It's not the right question. Because I love and serve uh, the God of the universe who loves me and utterly knows what's best for me, and he has different ideas. He knows that my heart can create an idol out of money and an idol out of the pursuit of financial security. He knows that if I'm relying on my income, I'm not relying on him for all that I need. He knows that if I spend my energy and time trying to create wealth, my attention won't be on what I was really made to devote myself to. That's why I'm thankful that Jesus gives us these words, this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. These words, like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, are meant to reorient our lives. They're meant to reshape our heart and our mind according to the values of the kingdom of God. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Whatever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is, is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And, and, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and, and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So in this passage, we see Jesus challenging his hearers, and he's challenging us as it relates to money and, and possessions. And I think he's challenging, one, our desires. He's challenging, two, our, our attitude. And three, he's challenging our loyalty. And I'd like to take a closer look at each of those. And as I do, I want to visually represent them in this sort of kingdom Venn diagram that we've been using. It's because, of course, um, we all certainly have, we have desires. We all have um, attitude, we all, attitudes, we all have loyalties. The important thing to remember is that, is that these things, as well as every other matter of the heart, they can either be formed by the kingdom of this world or they can be formed by the kingdom of God. So let's first look at, at desires. Jesus challenges our desires and he says, Whatever, wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be. He's saying that, that whatever we value as important, that's what we'll devote ourselves to. And he says, store your treasures in heaven. In other words, value the kingdom, the eternal riches, rather than the earthly riches, which are temporal, which fade and they, they waste away and they don't, utterly they don't ultimately fulfill. And I like how Paul explains this uh, to us in his letter to the, um, to the Colossians in, in chapter three. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of 
honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is, get this, you guys, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, Paul continues, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. I love this because it reminds me that storing your treasures in heaven, it's not just about waiting for your heavenly reward someday. Remember, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so are its blessings, and so are its treasures. And yes, we will share in the glory in the age to come, but now our life is hidden with Christ in God. So we see here Jesus challenging, first, our desires. Second, we see Jesus challenging our attitude. Let's look again back at Matthew 6, verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You know, I've been, if I'm honest, I've been puzzled by this little parable. It seems to me, or it has seemed to me, a little bit out of place here in this passage of Scripture. Some random spiritual talk about vision and eyes in the middle of these two passages that would seem to flow really well together about treasures in heaven and not serving God and money, but in the middle you have this like, what, you know, what's all that about? Well, it's helped me to understand that these two verses here, Jesus is, is uh, using this Hebraic idiom uh, here that his, his, original, his original audience, his hearers would have, would have picked up on this right away. Suffice it to say just, in, just, just quickly that the word healthy here, uh, there's this implication of, of a generous spirit. In the word unhealthy here, it implies a stingy spirit. Okay, so Jesus is saying that a stingy attitude it brings darkness into you and into the, into the world around you. And, and a generous attitude brings light. And I can sort of identify, I've seen this in my life and in the lives of others around me. I've, I've witnessed an example of this back in the early days of the pandemic. And I think we're to the point where we can laugh about this now, but when it came to toilet paper, on the one hand, I saw this scarcity mindset kind of sink in, right? And, 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 and there was this focusing on a lack of resources as folks stockpiled and hoarded and stored away all this toilet paper. And on the other hand, though, I saw folks on uh, our neighborhood Facebook group who were choosing a different attitude. They were choosing a different attitude. They were facilitating the gathering and the passing out of toilet paper to those neighbors who needed it. They were joyfully collecting and making deliveries and they had even dubbed themselves the toilet paper fairies. It was, it, actually, it was a beautiful example of neighbors looking out for one another. And as I see it, it was really an example of, of, of light winning out over darkness. Because indeed, Christ has not been stingy with us. In fact, his attitude was generous. It was that of of a servant, says Paul in Philippians, right? Paul says in Philippians, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his, div his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So we see Jesus first challenging our desires and we see him challenging our attitude. Next, he challenges our loyalty. Back in Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You see, the thing about loyalty, you guys, is that it's, it has to be all or nothing, doesn't it? Meaning, if, if you're loyal to more than one thing, you're not really loyal to either. There's no such thing as sort of loyal or even mostly loyal. To show you what I mean, um, I know some of you in this room have a special kind of romantic someone in your life, right? Let's just pretend for a second um, that you came, you went home for Christmas and your significant little other person went home for Christmas and you were apart and, and then you came back this weekend. You came back this weekend and, 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 you came, and, and let's say you went up to, to your significant friend and, um, <laughs> and you said, guess what? <laughs> I, you're gonna be so proud of me. I was mostly loyal to you over the break. I was mostly loyal to you. I don't think that would fly, right? I don't think that would fly. No, I'm getting a, I'm getting a hard no over here. Jesus is pointing out here that, that his, this logic is, is, is faulty. He's saying you cannot serve God and be enslaved to anything else is the implication. But here he's talking about money. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot be mostly loyal to God while devoting part of your heart and time and attention to the love of money. The author of Hebrews says it this way, says, don't love money. That's what it says in Hebrews, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I love this because the author of Hebrews here, he's, he's, he's quoting Deuteronomy when he says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's, he's, he's invoking this collective memory that the children of God had because he's, 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 he's kind of flashing back to that moment where Joshua, um, he's passionately imploring God's people to have courage and to be strong and to expect God to, to deliver them into the, into the land he promised to give them. The author of Hebrews is reminding his readers that God's not going anywhere. His provision, his care has not and will not fade. Jesus' reminder to his hearers on that day on the mountainside in Galilee and his reminder to us is that we, we should align our desires, our attitude, and our loyalty according to the values of the kingdom of God. And I want to ask, what's the outcome? What's the outcome if we do? Or on the flip side, what's the outcome if we don't? These next, the next verses in Matthew chapter 6, they give us a clue as to the outcome of our desires, of our attitude, and our loyalty. Okay? And it says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life 
whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Here, Jesus is saying that if our attitudes, our desires, our loyalty are not rightly aligned according to the kingdom of God, the outcome is what? It's worry. It's worry. And I can attest, these words are true, you guys. These words are true. If our desires, our attitudes, and our loyalty are aligned with God's kingdom values, our outcome is freedom. Freedom from the worries of striving, freedom from the worries of of needing to stockpile and to hoard and to store away. We can live free from worry about our needs being met. We can live free to experience the generosity of Christ and, and, and personally extend that generosity to those around us. But I wanna be honest with you guys this morning, I know it's hard. If you're like me, you, you struggle. You struggle to relinquish that control. You strive for security and assurance of your needs being met. And so we toil and we worry and we ruminate. Maybe at times you've compromised. Maybe at times you've sold out. And the question remains, how? How do we realign How do we let God's kingdom align our desires, our attitude, our loyalty? Well, I think there's a key in this passage. It's found in verse 33. And the key is this. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And I think I have, I have four little ideas about, about what this means. First of all, I think that means focus on the one thing. I know if you're like me, your life is full of things. <laughs> your life is full of things. Your mind, your brain, your heart is full of things. Let's focus on the one thing. The kingdom and its king not primarily even focusing on the obedience, not primarily focusing on our desire and our attitude and our loyalty, but focusing our thoughts, our actions, our feelings um, rooted in Christ, focused on him, abiding in Christ. Here's also what I think this looks like. It's, it's a remembering that this is, an, this is ongoing. This is a process. Right? The Greek word here that's translated seek, it implies a continuing, a persistent searching. It's a process. And number three, you have a part to play in that process. We all have a part to play in that process. The spirit will wait. He does not force himself on us. We must respond. We have to cooperate and say yes and be willing And this requires discipline, and yes, it requires focus. But again, what's the focus on? The king and the kingdom. Fourth, what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God? Well, be encouraged, because the spirit of God is is within you. The spirit of God is within you. You already have the power for this formation to take place 
in your heart and in your life. It's there. And just to remind us of that truth this morning, I'm gonna read a passage of scripture over you this morning. It's from Luke 17, and it's, it's this, this time where the Pharisees came and asked Jesus a question. They asked a question about the kingdom. And I want this truth to really soak in to our lives and to our hearts this morning. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And friends, that, that word among can be translated as already within you. The kingdom of God is already within you. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you've submitted your life to him, if you've made him the Lord of your life, the kingdom of God is within you. Closer than you can imagine. And so, Father, we, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for that truth. That your presence, your very presence is with us in such a way that it's within us. God, our minds can't comprehend that. God, help us to know it's true. And so, God, as it comes to money and possessions and every other matter of the heart, God, may we align our life according to the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's worship.